Let's turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and let's take a few minutes and look at these next eight verses, and then we will take some considerations for the Lord's Supper from them before we have communion together. John chapter 10. I have briefly, or depending on how you look at the time spent in the first service, lengthily explained to you the first 10 verses being a ministerial comparison between the ministers of Jesus' time and himself. That they were thieves and robbers, and he was the good shepherd. They did not have a divine mandate for the things that they were doing. He had a complete mandate as the Son of God. And we covered those things in the first 10 verses. Now, instead of being the door and being the shepherd that goes through the door, proving that he is the true shepherd of the sheep, he is going to be the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep, and he's going to compare himself to hirelings, which are men that are in the ministry as a profession, men who are in the ministry as a career, and how they were no comparison to him that when danger would arise that would exceed their wages, they're going to disappear. When difficulty or diligence was expected that was greater than their wages, they would disappear. But the Lord Jesus Christ would even lay down his life for the sheep. We can see that he did lay down his life, and he's going to explain that doctrinally more carefully in verses 26 through 30. At this time, it's just his sacrificial, primarily his sacrificial ministry for the benefit of the sheep in total contradiction and distinction from the ministerial association. So let me read to you verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. Very briefly, let's con continue the comparison of Jesus Christ as bishop, pastor, shepherd, and the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees of his day as they were pastors or shepherds. They considered themselves to be shepherds of God's flock, like you read in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. The prophets and priests thought they were fulfilling God's calling. They had an office that they had taken upon themselves, and yet those chapters condemned them for their selfish, greedy ways in which they dealt with the flock of God. Jesus was sacrificial. And the contrast here 
is great. He has dealt with thieves and robbers. The opposite of being a thief or a robber is laying down your life for those sheep. Instead of taking from the sheep, you give everything to the sheep. And we started this service off with 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, which told us that Jesus was rich but became poor, that we who were poor might be made rich. And that's the opposite of a thief and a robber who, being poor, wants to become rich, so he takes riches and leaves men poor. That it's the opposite. And we want to see that great gulf between the ministers of Jesus' day, and they've always existed. They existed under Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They existed under Jesus Christ. They existed under the Apostle Paul when he would say, I have only one man like-minded, Timothy. And they've existed ever since, and they exist today. I wrote to you yesterday, and I used Mike Murdoch as an example. For anyone here that knows who Mike Murdoch is, you know that he is a thief and a robber. Sow a seed in my pocket. It's right here. Sow a seed in my pocket, and you can reap a harvest. The Lord Jesus Christ sowed himself so that we can have the resurrection of the life of life that's coming for us soon. Entirely different. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We will deal with these verses in more detail next Lord's Day. I want to get through them. I want to have the Lord's Supper, okay? Because I have some comments. I want to show you how great the gospel is and how it exceeds the metaphor of this passage. But let's get through the passage briefly to remind ourselves that in these 18 verses, Jesus Christ is the true pastor and bishop and shepherd of our souls. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus did die for the sheep. He's going, he says that in verses 17 and 18 about laying down his life in obedience to the Father. And he's going to teach that in verses 27, 28, and 29. I give unto them, that is the sheep, eternal life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life. But he that is an hireling. And so here's this conflict, this difference. It was thieves and robbers and the true shepherd of the sheep in the first 10 verses. Now it's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and hirelings who are doing it as a career, who make it their business, who are doing it for wages, and how they are not truly vested in the interests of the sheep. And the Lord Jesus Christ is vested in the interest of the sheep like none other ever. He is in eternal union with the sheep. Do you remember how I've tried to teach you that from Ephesians chapter 5, that we are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh? We were given to him that way before the world began. He is united to us. And that union is so eternal, deep, and cannot be broken and will not be broken. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ is connected to us. And he's committed to us because of it. But not a hireling. A hireling is an 18-year-old that doesn't know what to do. Should I, should I join the army or should I go to college? So he decides to go to college, maybe. He goes to college and he opens up a handbook and he looks at, do I want to be an accountant? 
too many numbers. Do I want to be an engineer? Way too many numbers. Numbers that you got to think about instead of just record. Smile, accountants. There is a difference. Oh, here's ministry. Oh, I only have to work one day a week. And that only for a little while. I think I'll go into the ministry. And so they make it a career. They're hirelings. Would to God that every man in the ministry had had to earn his way in this world before he was a minister. There's a lot of benefits to that, and I've taught it before, and I don't want to get off on it now because time is very limited. But there's great advantages to it. That way a man is not going to be intimidated by a congregation and its most generous givers. Who cares if they give or they don't give? I'm doing this for the Lord, and I can go make money anyway. I don't need them to make money. And so they're not afraid of men, and it's just a, it's a blessing. But a hireling, and there are many of these. I think I'll be a minister. I think I'll be a priest. I think I'll be a nun. They're hirelings. They're doing it for the wages. And look what the, Jesus has to say about them. Because here were these men that were Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, Herodians, Sadducees, and many of them were hirelings. Can a hireling be a thief and a robber? Oh, yes. Can a thief and a robber be a hireling? Yes. Let's not get so confused about these different terms. Let's see the lesson that Jesus is drawing that his ministry is so superior to the ministries of those around, especially the Pharisees. Verse 12, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, he's just a day laborer. The shepherd maybe has to be out of town on business to buy some more sheep. But he turns it over to a hireling that he pays a wage to. So he's been hired to take care of sheep in the absence of the shepherd. The shepherd has a vested interest in the sheep. They are his business. They are his livelihood. He only profits if they prosper. The hireling only profits if the shepherd pays him. So all he cares about is the time clock. Click and click at the end of the day. And for any that have owned a business that had a time clock, you know them. They get there punctually, and they punch in before they do anything else. Trust me, they punch in before they get their coffee and read the newspaper and want to talk to everyone on staff. Then they dilly-dally around as long as they can until they think it's time to go home or they're about to be reprimanded, then they punch out so that they can squeeze every minute out of a day as, as possible because they're paid by the time which I hate and despise paying anyone for time. We ought to pay for productivity. Then the people that don't want to work don't get paid, they don't eat, and they starve to death, and we have a shrinking of the labor force, and we all make more money. That's the way it ought to be. But that's for a different time as well. He that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, he does not have an owner's mentality. This is beautiful. Yes, it's economic. He does not have an owner's mentality because that's exactly what it says. Whose own the sheep are not. The sheep are the shepherds and he's just been hired to take care of them for a while. So when, a, when the sheep are not his, he doesn't really care because he doesn't have a vested interest in them and at the first sign of danger, he's gone. 
He's gone. David wasn't that kind of a shepherd, was he? No wonder Jesus didn't mind being called David or the son of David. When a bear came, what did David do? Run? No, he killed the bear. When a lion came, what did he do? He killed the lion to protect his father's sheep. He was just a son. Just a son. But he kept the father's sheep pretty well, didn't he? Does the son of David keep his father's sheep pretty well? Does he have a vested interest in them? They are his. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. They're, they're joint heirs with him. They're to be adopted in the family of God with him. And he has been in eternal union with them from the foundation of the world. That is vested interest. That is real ownership. And it's not just to get some mutton in the freezer. This is to get the children of God to heaven. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. He that is a hireling and not the shepherd, who's owned the sheep or not, he doesn't have an owner's mentality, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. In a congregation, that's a pastor, when he sees the truth and he sees the error and he has a conflict or a controversy in his congregation and he will not deal with it because he wants to remain popular, he wants to be approved by the ministerial fellowship. He wants to keep the majority of the church together. So instead of dealing with it like he ought to, he flees and runs, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. He was going to preach the truth if everyone left him. He was still going to preach the truth. The Pharisees would compromise every time they could. It tells us they would because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They didn't want to lose their jobs. So they would compromise. Even the ones that believed on him would not confess him openly. Neither would the blind man's parents. But the blind man did. Because the blind man didn't care if he was thrown out of the synagogue. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling. And we're supposed to understand that. That a laborer working for wages does not think or act like an owner. And for those that have owned a business, they all know exactly what I'm talking about. Hirelings do not care. Those that are just being paid wages for their time do not conscientiously care about the success and prosperity of the business. Where an owner will do what is necessary to help the business thrive. The only thriving that a hireling can think of is his paycheck. He wants it to thrive. So he milks the clock. He paces himself during the day. Oh, to live in a country and to live in a place where those that paced themselves were fired so that we had real workers on the job and then they could get paid twice as much because a man that likes to work can outwork three men that pace themselves. You don't need to pace yourself. Energy will come in the doing of the task, not by laying around. That's how you get tired. How do you think you get tired? By slowing down. I have things worse than that to say that were presented to this, men's, this church's men by men in this congregation about how to handle sickness and other things when it's time to go to work. Go work it off. One of the best cures for sickness is to go work it off. That's the difference between a hireling and an owner's mentality. An owner knows he can't just take a day off because he feels like it. Because he's got the sniffles. An owner can't do that. An owner's got to be there and, and make that business go. The owner can't have customers looking for service and no one there to give it to them. And so the different Jesus is arguing beautifully here if you'll think economically and financially and from an employment standpoint. 
the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling. You ought to know what the definition of a hireling is. That's a person working for wages rather than having a vested interest in the sheep and careth not for the sheep because he only cares about his paycheck. I am the good shepherd. Notice this. We've got a sandwich here, a verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 11, I lay down my life for the sheep. 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. In between, the hireling. What does he do? He runs to save his life instead of the sheep. Now, if you run and leave sheep alone, what's going to happen? They're going to be scattered. If the threat was great enough to cause the shepherd to run, the threat is great enough to harm many sheep. And they're scattered as they run away from some animal of prey, like a lion or a wolf. And so the comparison is made. And the Pharisees were the hirelings, and Jesus was the good shepherd. Verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. So we have a sheepfold, and it's a Jewish sheepfold. But there's another sheepfold, and it's a Gentile sheepfold. And there's sheep there that need to be brought. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. I have a vested interest in Gentile sheep as well, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And the Lord Jesus Christ is gathered together into one body, Jews and Gentiles. I have to cheat and jump ahead in chapter 11 just for a moment. John chapter 11, near the end of it, the, the Pharisees have got together and are conspiring on what they're going to do about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. If we don't do something, everyone's going to follow Jesus. Why could you have a meeting and talk about a man has been raised from the dead and not want to run to Jesus and sign up. But they didn't want to run and sign up. They wanted to kill him. And they wanted to kill Lazarus. So there couldn't be a man that said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. But at this conference that they're having, a man stands up and prophesies by the power of God through one of his own enemies. And it's Caiaphas. And it's in verse 49, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. He didn't know what was coming out of his mouth. God put in his mouth a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He was just saying, let's let's go ahead and kill one man and make Rome happy with us that we've killed someone that appears to be an enemy of Rome. This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. That is you and me. That's Gentiles that were scattered abroad. And so the other sheep of John 10, 16 are Gentiles. This is the great mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. 
Who was preached unto the Gentiles? God manifest in the flesh. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ was preached to the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up into glory. He got his sheep. The, when the Gentiles heard this, Acts 13, they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed and were gathered in by the Lord Jesus Christ through his apostles. The Lord Jesus Christ told Paul when he was in the city of Corinth, don't you worry about the persecution that's come up. I know it's intimidating right now. But I have much people in this city. Do you like those words? But I have much people in this city. Now you stay here for the benefit of my much people that are in this city. I don't care about the persecution. You did it. You did some persecuting yourself. Now it's time for you to be persecuted a little bit. But you stay there for much people that are mine in this city. Other sheep I have. They're mine. So stay there. Verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Are there manifestations of God's love that bear on obedience? Yes. Yes. The manifestations of it, the displays of it. Because Jesus obeyed, he was put down at God's right hand and given the universe. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and so forth. And when we obey we obtain a greater manifestation of God's love for us. Haven't I laid that on you before from John 14, 15, and 16, where it says, If a man will keep my commandments, my Father will come, and I will come, and we will abide with him, and my Father will love him. Right. It's a manifestation of God's love for us in a greater degree because we obey. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus did not die an accidental death. You know, a shepherd that sees a lion coming has to make a choice. Do I run and lose the sheep? Do I fight the lion and the sheep lose a shepherd? But he will not make the choice to fight the lion ordinarily if he's going to lose. So his life is taken from him. Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels, brethren, but he died. He laid down his life. Do you understand? This is the ultimate shepherd. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. We will cover this in more detail next Lord's Day. We are going to sing a song or two, and then I want to share some thoughts with you about Jesus as shepherd, as lamb, and as lion before we celebrate his death.